Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. This is Renita Malhotra-Hora. Wall Street halts its winning streak as small caps advance. Tencent profits miss analyst estimates as finance costs climb. And six of the world's biggest banks are fined for rigging the foreign exchange market. This morning on Money for Nothing, guest host Peter Lewis and I will discuss all of these topics with Puru Saxena of Puru Saxena Wealth Management. And then Ernie Dias of Web Presence in China will join us to analyze Tencent's earnings. And finally, we'll have a look at whether early stage investment Investments can be considered an asset class. We'll ask Titus Mikalski of Fresco Capital and Ian Reid, the president of Thai Hong Kong. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Renita. Lots to discuss this morning. Many, many things going on. Yeah, currency in turmoil, you know, turmoil, I should say, in currency markets and uh, big banks sort of creating that turmoil. Yep, and banks being fined as well for for their role in, you know, um, FX rate rigging. Exactly. All right. Well, so uh, before we discuss all of that, let's have a look at today's top stories. Wall Street's five-day record-breaking run has ended after huge fines for rigging the foreign exchange market sent the shares of leading U.S. banks tumbling and also as small caps advanced. The Dow closed nearly three points lower at 17,612. The S&P 500 fell just over a point to 2,038, while the Nasdaq composite added a third of a percent to end at 4,675. Now, six of the world's biggest banks have been fined 4.3 billion U.S. dollars by regulators in the UK, US and Switzerland. This includes HSBC, the Royal Bank of Scotland, UBS, JP Morgan Chase and Citibank, who were all found guilty of rigging key foreign exchange benchmarks last year. Bloomberg's Susie Ring reports. Uh, we started the day with fines from the UK Financial Conduct Authority. Uh, that was against five banks for about $1.7 billion. Uh, and at the same time, UBS was also fined by the Swiss authorities, uh, about $139 million. Um, and the CFTC, very quickly as well, $1.4 billion for the same five banks as the UK. Um, and then just a couple of hours ago, we've had the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency come out with another $950 million. So uh, the banks collectively have taken a $4.3 billion hit today, um, which is you know, kind of as expected, um, but a lot for one day. Now, Barclays was a pretty interesting case. They were going to settle, but pulled out at the last minute. Um, And this relates apparently to the fact that they're also in discussions with New York's Department of Financial Services. Uh, We we don't know the nature of that at the moment, but we know that the uh, Department of Financial Services is known to be very tough, uh, often likes to go alone as well. The the strange thing about this scenario was, though, that Barclays obviously went first in the LIBOR settlements and actually really suffered as a result of it. Uh, So you would think that it would be in Barclays' interest this time around to be in the group. it's a lo- we're at a loss to understand why they didn't participate in today's settlement. The wrongdoing started in 2008 and was still going on last October, well, after banks were fined for the last rigging scandal, LIBOR. And there could be worse worse to come. UK and US authorities have launched criminal probes into the scandal, which could lead to much bigger fines and even convictions. Michael Bow, a partner at Cassowitz, Benson, Torres and Freeman, thinks that the fines alone will not change, change the bad behavior of banks. 
We've had insider trading cases. We've had LIBOR cases. We've had the mortgage cases. Um, and the real question is going to be, um, until senior people are prosecuted, and if the, only, if the only issue is banks having to pay large sums of money, and we've seen it, that the sums of money have become bigger and bigger as criminal prosecutions have been brought into the equation and the threat of losing their banking charter. But still, that's only been used to increase the amount of money they have to pay. And, and if it's not more than they made um, and people don't go to jail, there's a real question about whether this will ever change behavior, especially at sort of the, this, le this operational level where this stuff I, I think was was rampant, um, but not but arguably not caught. So, Peter, I'd love to know where you come out on this. You know, now that all of these fines have been paid and settled, have we seen an end? I don't think we have. We still have a criminal investigation going on. The U.S. Justice Department is, is continuing its investigation. There are other regulators around the world, including here in Hong Kong, who are also continuing their investigations. And, and so far, you know, since the financial crisis, there's been something like $100 billion of fines imposed on banks globally. And yet, we still have this going on, and this was after the LIBOR scandal, so for sure the people involved in the FX rate risking must have known that this was illegal. They saw it all you know, in, in LIBOR, but yet it still carries on, and it does make you wonder what have we got to do to, um, to stop this happening, and, and it's important that we do stop it happening, because there are many people around the world who are convinced that markets are rigged and are fixed and are, you know, are biased against them, and when they see this type of thing happening, it only um, you know, makes them think even more that these markets are not free and not fair. Yes, it goes just to confirm confirm their suspicions. Let's bring in uh, Puru Saxena of Puru Saxena Wealth Management. Good morning, Puru. Good morning, Renita. So, Puru, you know, as Peter's saying, we've seen this with LIBOR. We've seen something like this in 2008 with the mortgage fraud. Uh, we seem to be seeing this kind of behavior on Wall Street going back into sort of several years. I mean, you look at, you know, trading scandals and Kitta Peabody and you know, is it so hard to have a button-down compliance environment? Well, it's very difficult. When you've got large sums of money involved, uh, human nature tends to become greedy and people do things they shouldn't do. So I think this is going to just go on and as long as the financial markets are still alive. And, and Peru, where then is the role of compliance departments and risk management departments who are supposed to be there to make sure that people's greed don't get the better of them and they don't break the law? It sounds like there's really a systematic failure of compliance and risk management and senior management in some of these firms. Well, absolutely. But if you look at the size of some of these firms, Peter, and especially, you know, the big banks where you've got so many different departments and divisions and traders trading all sorts of things, it is very difficult for maybe a group of people to sit down and really work out what is going on, especially if the traders are being clever. It's very difficult. And I think compliance is good. Obviously, without that, you would have total mayhem, but I don't think it's foolproof. Now, you know, in this particular case, there were a number of transcripts that were uncovered uh, showing the senior employees at all of these various banks talking to each other, double teaming, so to speak. Uh, this obviously suggested there was a lot of con collusion going on. Is that true, Puru? Well, I don't really know this particular case, but if, you know, if you have a big fraud going on somewhere, usually it's more than one person involved. You know, in a big company, you can't have one person getting away with it.
And, and the, the chat room transcripts show that banks were actually colluding with each other to try and manipulate the fixing and deliberately, um, you know, disadvantage their clients, you know, force stops that clients had in the, in the markets to be taken out at disadvantageous levels. I mean, the, these transcripts are, are, are pretty damning. What, what do we do to, you know, in particular, make sure that senior management in these banks are, are accountable and, you know, when this type of thing goes on, um, you know, they are pulled over the coals. I mean, you've got to have tougher penalties. I believe you've got to slap them with massive fines financially and also maybe some prison time uh, that would set a good standard and deter others from doing the same. Yeah, I think the prison time is key because, um, as, as one of the analysts was saying as well, you know, fines are all fine and well, but uh, the truth of the matter is if they do not exceed the amount you earn and if they're not sort of lumped in with prison time, how are they going to have any effect? That's right. right. I mean, if you're making hundreds of millions of dollars, you don't really mind paying 10 million now and again. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. I I wish I were there. Why am I not there? Okay. Uh, You know, speaking of compliance, guys, uh, (laughs) do you think, Peter, has technology enabled this type of behavior? Well, you know, the markets have become very, very sophisticated. um, And the FX markets are OTC markets. So in other words, you know, if, if one person buys a currency, the bank is on the other side of that trade and has you know, has taken on the risk of that trade. And therefore, there is always temptations in order to try and um, sort of move the you know, markets in a, in a way that's favorable to those um, sort of positions. So it is very important that we use the technology as well in the, in the right way. And, and, you know, banks have invested hundreds of millions of dollars in technology now to try and root out this thing. They monitor chat rooms very carefully. They monitor emails um, very carefully. But at the end of the day, there still has to be a will amongst the senior management that they are actively going to look into this um, and, and stamp it out. All the technology in the world won't help unless the senior management really feel accountable about this. And if they even say we're, we're prepared to root this out to the extent that it will hit our profitability, we would rather have um, you know, uh, um, you know, a, a business that's compliant with the rules and regulations rather than uh, going for profits all the time. Okay, Peter, since we are on the topic of currencies, of course, we've seen a lot of turmoil in currency markets. Can you bring us up to date on that? Yes. Um, I mean, you know, well, first of all, the yen. I mean, the yen um, has moved from 108 to 116 in just eight days. It hit 116 yesterday. In emerging markets, we've got a lot of turmoil going on in, in the currency markets. I mean, the Russian ruble has now fallen 25% against the dollar in the, the past four months. The Ukrainian uh, currency is crumbling and has just hit a new um, record low and there's a real danger there that it may have to default on some of its sovereign debt and, and restructure. And we're seeing that as well in, in other emerging markets, Brazil, Argentina, South Africa, Turkey, all having very pronounced currency weaknesses and starting to do damage to their real um, economies because there's capital outflows going on in some of those countries now. Puru, what do you make of this? Well, we think that the US dollar is going to rally for maybe another three, four years at the very minimum. Uh, I think the dollar has bottomed out and the emerging markets currencies are going to continue to weaken. I also believe that the euro is going to weaken. I think the yen is going to weaken. So I think the trend in the US dollar is up for now. And that's because the QE has ended in America. The American economy is healing. The housing market is rebounding. If you look at overseas, elsewhere, I mean, Europe 
is in a mess. The ECB started buying assets. The BOJ is buying bonds. So you've got easing going on in other parts of the world, and you really don't have a choice. So the dollar, in my view, is going to go strong, and that's going to hurt the emerging currencies other major currencies as well as commodities and precious metals. And so, what's this going to do for the economies of, of some, particularly some of the emerging markets? They're, they're not in great shape to withstand a, a dollar that's going to you know, appreciate for the next three or four years, if, you, if your prediction is right. I mean, I agree with you. I think the emerging markets are going to struggle. Uh, if you recall in the last decade, Peter, from 2001 to 2011, the developed world did very badly and the emerging world did very well. The emerging countries did very well. Commodities did very well. Foreign currencies did very well. Precious metals commodities did very well. And the US dollar went down and the developed world went down. In 2001-11, April, the trend reversed. So the developed world bottomed out, the dollar bottomed out, and commodities and emerging markets topped and precious metals topped. And I think this trend will continue for another four or five years. So I think if you've got to invest, you've got to look at the developed world, i.e. Europe, U.S., and Japan 